Now I want to continue today in our study through the Gospel of Mark. As we follow Jesus and as we learn of Him, we build our faith. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the preaching of the Word. So every Sunday as you tune in, every time you pick up your Bible, every time you listen to a Gospel song which is based on the Scriptures, every single time you do that, your faith is being built. And you're going to see today that you need faith. Because today I'm going to talk to you about spiritual power through faith. That is our topic today. Spiritual power through faith. And we need faith. We need faith in the times that we live. You can't go out of your front door without faith. And this is so critically important for us. To know where we find our faith and then to operate in that faith. So as we look at spiritual power, a child of God need to understand the power in which we operate. And I know there's a lot of phony messages out there about power. I don't want to tap into that, but I want to go to the Word of God. Now, last week we saw that the disciples was on the mountain top with Jesus. And who can forget that? They saw Jesus transfigured right in front of their eyes. And you remember how we spoke about the mountaintops and then the miracle in the middle ground and then the valleys. Now these men were on the mountain and they were excited to see Jesus and to see Elijah and Moses. But the problem is you can't always stay on the mountaintops. At some stage you have to come down to the valley. Now I put it down to this as you look into this picture. Take a, a sailboat, you know, a person who, who builds a sailboat carefully crafts out the plan how he wants to build this sailboat. He's got a picture in his mind. He puts it on paper. He measures it out meticulously. And then he finds the best material to build the sail yacht. And bit by bit he do that. And then comes the mast. And you know the mast needs to be really strong to withstand the strongest winds. He puts the mast in the sailboat, and then he secures the mast, and he's meticulous in that. He go out and he buys the best ropes you can find, because the ropes connect the mast to the ship, and if these ropes break, it weakens. Everything's got to work together perfectly. And then after he's done all of that, he goes out and he selects his sails. The sails needs to be some of the best sails in the world. You don't want to find you out in a storm and the sail stares open and you can't go anywhere. But think of this man who builds the sailboat and then eventually he's finished. And just like in this picture, he's in a harbour. And now, the thing is, once he walks up and down and he looks at this boat and behold the work that he's done, think of it, that this sailboat, with exemplary workmanship, sits in the harbour. Now, that's not the reason why this man has built the sailboat. No, no. He wants to push the sailboat out into the open sea. And by pushing it out into the open sea, he can see that every single thing that is built, as the wind fills the sails, it pulls on those ropes, it puts pressure on the mast, and then he puts pressure on the whole boat. And then, 
Only then when you push it out into the open sea and you can see it withstand and withhold the weeds close to the shore that you build faith in what you've built. That's when you push it out into the open sea. Because you know then that as you push it offshore into the open sea with whatever nature throws at you, you will come to the other side. This is how you build faith. You can't build faith by just sitting in the harbour, sitting in a safe place. Faith needs to be tested to be faith. And similarly, if you are on the mountaintop, as we've spoken about this, now there's a few things. I've, I've climbed a few mountains, not very significant mountains, but if I think back in South Africa, the Sultansberg Mountains is a big mountain race in there. Uh, in, in Transvaal and as a young man with a, with a school group when I was training to become a teacher, we climbed that mountain. And there's something that I can tell you out of experience as you go higher up in the mountain. It takes <coughs> all the effort you've got and strength in your body to get to the top. But once you get to the top, there's not much there. It is a massive success and you're so joyful when you get to the top of the mountain and you stand there. I still got a photo where I stand there with my hands just like this in the air with pure joy for reaching the pinnacle of that mountain. But there's a few things that I can tell you about a mountain top. There's not much there. And soon you will have to come down from the mountain into the valley because it's down in the valley where all the rivers from the mountain tops, when it rains, runs down and fills all these lakes so that you can have water. And where there's water, there's life. And where there's life, there's food. And that's how you sustain yourself. So what am I saying? I'm saying that we saw Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. Peter, uh, Peter, James and John was there with him. And they saw him there on the mountain. But soon they had to come down into the valley. And today we're going to learn the lesson and see exactly what happened after you come down from a mountain into the valley. And we see immediately after he comes down with his disciples, the three, and he see the other nine, that his disciples were struggling without power. You and I in this world will struggle without power. When we talk about power, I want to go to Matthew 9 verse 8. And here in Matthew 9 verse 8, after Jesus has, has healed a crippled man, we find an exchange taking place there. And then it's written in Matthew 9 8. Now when the multitude saw it, they saw the miracle. They marveled and glorified God. They were so in, a, in, in, in glorifying God who had given such power to men. So the people saw Jesus, what he did. He, he had a miracle. And then they rejoiced. They rejoiced God for the power that he gave to men. Now, the word used there for power is the Greek word exosia. Now, exosia means it is to give somebody authority to exercise that power. So the power that Jesus had was delegated authority from the Father. That is the same power that you and I have today. It is delegated authority from the Father. But he uses the word exosia there. We see later on in 
Matthew chapter 10 verse 1. When it says, and when he had called to him his twelve disciples. So that's the nine who was in the valley and the three who went with Jesus up onto the mountaintop. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the word here in the King James, New King James Version here for authority, he gave them authority is the same word, exosia. That is power. He gave his disciples power, delegated power over the evil spirits <coughs> to cast out the demons. So this is now the power that they needed to operate in. But then we find another word for power in the New Testament. And that's the word dynamis. Dynamis power. And this is the power to perform miracles. And we find in Acts chapter 8, 1 verse 8, that Jesus, his final words before he was taken up into heaven, into the clouds, he uses this word. He says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and into the, all the ends of the world. The word dynamis there is where we find our word dynamite from. And you and I know what dynamite do. If I put dynamite in this room, I better run for the front door. In fact, I need to run for the end of the street because dynamite explodes with such a great power. But we also find the word dynamo out of the word dynamis. And dynamo is something that continues going on. You say about somebody, he's a dynamo when he continues to do the same thing over again at the same speed, at the same intent. This is dunamis power. And Jesus said to us that we shall receive dunamis power, an explosive power, a continuing on power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Now you and I know by now what the the word for Holy Spirit is, is parakletos. It means to come alongside. Now, when you take the word dunamis and you take the word parakletos, it means the Holy Spirit will come alongside us with the dunamis power to help us. But we need to operate in that power. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul write to the church in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, listen carefully how he puts this now. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. There's that word dynamis again. The gospel is the dynamite of God. The gospel is the dynamo of God. It continues on and on and on in their day, and in our day, and in our children's day. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first, and then also for the Greek. How wonderful is the power of God? Remember, exosia, which is an authority to operate in power. So let's pick up the narrative. In Mark chapter 9 verse 14, and we're going to see now the lack of that spiritual power in the nine that stayed behind. 
And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them. There's a little bit of a commotion going on there. And scribes disputing with them. Now, you, you and I know who the scribes are. They are the ones who, who take the word of, well, the Old Testament, okay, the scriptures of the prophets and so on. <coughs> and they, they study them. And then they look at things to happen and then they say, oh, that can't happen because we have put it into this and they study in depth in this. Now the commotion that's going on down in the valley is with his disciples, Jesus' disciples, a great multitude and the scribes. It's, it's not always good when you see the name scribes there. Okay. Now in verse 15, he says, immediately when they saw him, Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? It's interesting he didn't turn to the crowd or to his disciples. He asked the scribes, he asked them, what are you discussing them? Then one of the crowds, now if you look at Matthew chapter 17, says that he came to Jesus and he knelt down and was on his knees. But here in Mark he says that one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought my son who has a mute spirit and whether it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. Obviously, this young boy had a demon possessed in him, had a demon spirit in him. And, and one of the, and I reckon this is what the discussion was around with the Pharisees and the disciples. One of the things is they believe that this is one of the most difficult demons to cast out. Because they believe that if you want to cast out a demon, you need to ask him his name. And once you have his name, it's easy. You call him on his name out of the person. But if somebody's mute, you can't call him on his name. There's people who make a ministry out of this. To go around and to try to find the names of demons. We're not called to do that. We call to preach the gospel. For I've given you the word in, my, in, in Romans chapter 1.16. It is the power of God unto salvation. We preach the gospel. The power of God. Here this man comes and he tells him about this mute spirit. So I spoke to your disciples, the father says, that they should cast it out, but they could not. That's sad words. Think about that. They could not do what we've asked them to do. It is a terrible situation. He answered them in verse 19. He says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. This is so wonderful. Jesus comes into the picture now. And now he says, bring that boy to me. But he calls them a faithless generation. And Jesus immediately laid the inability of the disciples to cast out the demon at their unbelief. Notice again, he calls them, oh, faithless generation. And then he talks about this. To be successful to cast out demons, there must be trust in the Lord God, who has total authority over all of the demons. You have to believe that. You have to have trust and faith in Jesus. All of Him. All of the authority is given to Him. 
This is such a sad affair. If you think about the poor father, I can tell you one thing, being a, a father of three children, well, I should say five children now with two daughter-in-laws and grandchildren, it touches your heart every single time when your children are injured or if they are tortured. And I can just imagine this poor dad looking at his boy when these things happen and he's hopeless. He can't help the boy. And if he goes to the doctors, they can't help him. Nobody can help him. It is a really poor situation. The thing you think about the poor boy, this poor little boy, he didn't ask for something. It says it's from a young age that he, that it happened. He didn't have a normal life like all of his other friends and so on, that he could run around and do all these things. No. The poor boy was, was tortured by this demon spirit. But friends, that is not the saddest aspect of this whole scene. I know it's sad for this father. I know it's sad for this boy. But when I look at the scene, that's not the saddest thing for me. The saddest part of this whole account is the powerlessness of his disciples. Because it says it right there in that verse, but they could not. This father came to him in the most distressing time of his life. This boy was sitting in front of them with hopelessness, but they could do nothing. They were powerless. And this is the picture of the modern day Christian. I see it, I hear it so often. Christians who are powerless, they proclaim they follow Jesus Christ. Not only Christians, but churches. They are lukewarm. You see, they, they've got a, a reputation, but they've got no power. They've got the buildings. They've got the people. They've got the smartest preachers who could equivalent tell you stories out of the Bible, who can capture you for an hour with the most beautiful things that comes out of their mouths. But when people like this father comes to them, when he's desperate, they could do nothing. The world is looking at the church today, but there's a lack of the power of God in the church. The delegated associate power of God, the dynamis power of God. They're looking at you as a Christian in the most darkest times that this planet will see. And they call out for direction and for help, but there is no power. There is a lot of beautiful, like I've said before, books written, songs sing, and people is kumbaya about it, but there is no power. There is a lack of power. And you know what they will do is they will turn around and say, they couldn't do it. And the moment that happens, see what happened. It draws crowds and the scribe steps in and they make a mockery of Christians and of the power of God. This is what I see in this first part. This poor father coming on and he says, I need help. My dear friend, I know you've been praying for your family, for your friends. What will happen the day when they seriously come upon you and they ask for help? 
Will you just give them ideas, a self-help book maybe? Will you just direct them to a preacher which is a really strong or charismatic preacher? Or will you have the power of God within you to take their hand and lead them to Jesus Christ, the only one who can help them? We need to think seriously about this. Because <coughs> this is what you find in the valley, far away from the mountain top. This is where the real test, this is like that sailboat that I was telling you, is now in the middle of the ocean. And now you find blowing against it the, the wind of the scribes, the wind of the crowds. And, and way and behold above that, a hopeless situation like this father and his son. Their faith has been tested and has been founded short. This is why Jesus says, O faithless generation. But I've got good news today. And that is because the the power, the true power, or the source of the power came onto the scene. The moment Jesus stepped forward, look in your Bible, it says there, they were amazed and they started running towards Jesus. He is the real power in our lives. Let's continue in verse 20 where they say then they brought him to him, the boy. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed in him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. This is only, this is only with the presence of Jesus. Jesus didn't even open up his mouth. The demon spirit within this boy, this mute boy, when he saw Jesus, he grabbed this body that he occupies, and he threw him to the ground. See the power with what Jesus operates. He didn't have to say smart words. He didn't have to preach a sermon. The power of God unto salvation. Verse 21, so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, you see the poor boy. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Oh, I love this. This is like a prayer. If you can do anything. If you, Jesus, can do anything. Now, I can tell you today, He can do everything. He says, if you can do anything, He can do everything. How wonderful is that? Have compassion on us and help us. Now, Jesus says something interesting here. He says to him in verse 23, If you can believe, comma, all things are possible to him who believe. If you can believe, how can you ask such a question? All things are possible. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. How I love that word. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, death and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him and enter no more. The spirit cried out, convulsing greatly, and chains came out of him, and he became as of one dead. So many said, he's dead. The boy became so quiet, so calm, so peaceful. And people look at it and they go, now the boy's dead, hello? But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and rose him. Look, I want to pray, preach a sermon one day about that verse. And Jesus took him by the hand. 
We've got a song. Reach out, and touch the Lord as He passes by. You will find He's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. Hear this boy sit there and Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up. Let it be known that when Jesus touches you, you will be lifted up. And he arose. Praise the Lord. A powerless Christian portrays Jesus Christ as powerless. Listen to this father when he says those words. When he say to Jesus, you know, um, if... If you, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus had to say, if you believe, and he says to him, all things are possible to him who believes. And the Father says that. So when you are out in the world and you're a powerless Christian, people will look upon it and they will believe that Jesus Christ is as powerless as you are. And it's just the opposite. I've just showed it to you. When Jesus comes, he is the author of this power. It is time that the church start telling the truth. It is time the church start pulling his nose out of other business and come back to the core of what we are called for and that's to preach the power unto salvation which is the gospel. It is time that we preach a message that changes lives. It is time that we, that we tell the world that knowing Jesus is exciting. It is time that we do that. It is time that the church becomes alive and active in the world again for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. It is time that you and I as Christians make an influence in our day and lives and in our worlds we live in and not just follow the lie. His gospel has got power and we need to believe that. Faith is the one that makes us believe that. But we also see another thing here in this passage. And that is that weak faith is better than no faith. Listen to the Father when He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I've got a little bit of faith. It is weak. Jesus can do a lot with a little bit of faith. So if you sit there today and you say, Lord, I've got a little bit of faith, praise the Lord. He can do a lot with it. He said, although your faith is like a mustard seed, small, it can grow to move a mountain. How wonderful is the faith of God in our lives. He says, Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus helped him. Verse 28. And when he come into the house, his disciples asked him privately. You see, I believe they were a little bit embarrassed now. Because if you remember... Not so long ago in the gospel, Jesus sent them out and he gave them authority over demon spirits. They went out two by two, they preached and they came back and they boasted about this. They said to Jesus that even the spirits, the demon spirits came out of people. But what happened here? What happened here? Jesus is on the mountain with three of the disciples and the nine who stays behind couldn't even get the spirit out. The father said they can do nothing. 
And when they came into the house, now as his disciples asked him privately, a little bit embarrassed, why could we not cast it out? Why Jesus? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now what is Jesus saying? And again, I've heard so many sermons about this verse. So many people who just take the one verse and take it out of context and got a good following who follow them and they are now chasing, you know, demon spirits and so on and they pray and they fast. Nothing wrong. Prayer is what is going to come down to. You will hear that. But nothing wrong with fasting as well. But what is going on here? You see, brother and sister, his answer is that, is that these men, they failed because they lacked spiritual discipline. This is now these last two verses. They came to him privately. They said, Jesus, what happened here? And he said to them, this kind of demons do not come out by prayer and by fasting. Those two things, my dear friend, takes a lot of spiritual discipline to do. The first one is prayer. This is a state of close communion with the Lord. This is something that you need to continue to do day by day to be strengthened therein. It is a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. And once you do it, you will exercise after that the power of God. Fasting speaks of a lifestyle of total submission and surrender to the Lord. So there you've got it. A lifestyle of total submission. If you think about fasting, which I've done, and and if you think about fasting beyond seven days, it takes a lot of submission to the Lord to be able to do that. It takes a lot of surrender to the Lord to rely on His power and not your own power. And these two things were the critical things when Jesus was on the mountain away from them. Today, He is away from us in heaven. He gave us the Holy Spirit. But those disciplines is still the same. Prayer and fasting. Prayer is that close communion with God. And fasting is that submitted, surrendered life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the representation here. These men were not communicating with God or have communion with God as they should have been. They should have had that communion with God. And if they had that communion of God, they would have had the faith and the trust to walk in the power that was necessary to help in this situation. But I come back to the words of the Father, but they could not. And Jesus says to them, the problem here is, my disciples, is that you do not walk in spiritual discipline. And you and I as children of God need to walk in spiritual discipline. It takes discipline to read your Bible. It takes discipline to pray. It takes discipline to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we need to do. They lacked the power of God on their own lives. And they could not cast out this demon. And that is what the world is looking at you and me for. We need to pray. And I'm referring to prayer that seeks the face of God and the will of God. It is not just to keep your mind and say, look, I've woke up six o'clock in the morning. I did my five minute prayer and now I'm feeling okay. I'm confident. This is seeking the face of the Lord the whole day. 
Wherever you go to have communion with God, yes, to have your quiet time with the Lord where you sit down, you open up your Bible, you speak to Him, you pray to Him. It takes discipline. We need to. We need to as children of God to be able to have the power of God to operate in that communication with God. And then we are commanded to pray. It's not just something which is written in the Bible. It's an optional extra. You know, I've I've looked at my home and content insurance again uh, this week, and um, as I go through filling out the form, it comes down to an optional extras, and you fill out the optional extras, and it's amazing that if you tick the boxes of the optional extras, now the premium starts ramping up, and and I want to use that. I want to use that today. This is not an optional optional extra to pray to pray. It's not that if you're going to pray, you tick the box and it's going to ramp up a blessing. No, no, that's not what it is. It is part of the document of God. And we are told to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. Do not stop praying. And this is what I operate in, brother and sister. You know, I pray in the morning. I get in my car I pray. I talk to the Lord while I'm driving. I keep my eyes open. Absolutely. I'm not going to tempt God, but... You know, I get out of my car, I go into the office, I sit at my desk, I pray. I'm working from home now for the last how many months. I come in here in the morning and I have my little quiet time here. I pray during the day when I operate and talk to people, the phone ring after the phone. I speak to God constantly, without ceasing. Luke 18.1, then he spoke a parable to them, this Jesus, that men ought to pray and not lose heart. You know what will happen if you stop praying? You will lose heart. You know what will happen if you stop praying? You will lose power. You will lose the power that will help you in this world. Spiritual discipline. This is what this passage is about. And we then must surrender to God. Everything we've got. Second Corinthians 6.17 Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. This is come out of the world. Now, he by far doesn't say you need to go live on an island and become like the Amish people. And no, no, he says with in our minds, it's in your in your righteousness, in your conduct. Come out from amongst the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. We come out amongst them. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So that is our, our message today. Jesus came down from the mountain. The multitude is around his disciples. Describes us unto them. Look at you guys. You can't do this. Even the father said they couldn't. They can't. And Jesus comes into the picture. He shows to them the demonstration of the power of God. He cast out this demon spirit. Then when the disciples came to them, he gave them a lesson about spiritual readiness about spiritual discipline and he says to them that it's a lack of their discipline that they could not do this that's your message for this week brother and sister why don't you operate in, in the spiritual discipline that god wants from you in jesus name let's pray heavenly father i thank you so much for your word today and father i pray for my brothers and sisters and my friends who hear my voice now and through my voice, your voice. And I pray, Father, that you help us to keep and to hold on to the spiritual power that is only coming from you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.